Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. 
Usually we talk about addiction science and psychology, but today we are going to talk about AA. If you're a listener of the podcast, then you know I've never been to AA, so I don't know much about it. My guest today is Laura, who has gone to AA for years and has experience sponsoring others. She is an award-winning writer and marketer who is passionate about helping people get sober. She's the face behind Your Sober Pal, which is a sobriety humor TikTok account and Instagram account aimed at helping people find comfort and laughter in their struggle with alcohol. You may know her from her amazing TikToks and reels. She is so funny and relatable, so if you don't follow her, please use the links in the show notes to check out her accounts. When she isn't making TikToks, she can be found at her local animal shelter where she works as a communications manager. I asked Laura to come on the show because I really admire the neutral and approachable way she talks about AA. There are some assumptions about AA that prevent some people from not even considering it as an option. I hope this interview helps to show you what AA is like. In sharing her experience, Laura will also tell us how you can still benefit from the program without labeling yourself as an alcoholic or embracing any type of formal religion. I believe that the negative assumptions about AA prevent people from even giving it a chance, and AA could be the thing that helps them get sober. With all that in mind, let's bring in Laura. So Laura, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Great. So before we get started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your sobriety? Yeah, um, my name is Laura and I live in Reno, Nevada. And, you know, I have been sober for now three and a half years. And I think how you know me from is my sober pal, which is an Instagram and TikTok account that I started about seven months ago or so. Um, that's focused on sobriety and recovery and just, you know, connecting with people who are on the same journey. So seven months ago, I thought that you had your account for much longer. What inspired that? Yeah, so um, I started Your Sober Pal because, uh, you know, when COVID hit, I hadn't been going to a ton of meetings and I hadn't really been that in touch with my recovery. And I remember feeling like I really wanted to talk about recovery. And I felt like on my personal Instagram account, people were like kind of getting sick of hearing about it because <laughs> everybody, all my friends know I'm sober, but I really was yearning for a place to get really deep on the topic and really vulnerable. And I feel like the place to do that is with other people who get it and who are also on the same journey. And so I started your sober pal thinking like I'd never get more than like a hundred followers. <laughs> and then I started doing the funny TikToks because I just, like wanted to make fun and like laugh at the journey too, because you got to be able to laugh, you know, while you're on that journey. And yeah. And then things just kind of snowballed from there. And I've just met so many amazing, inspiring people on there like yourself and many more. And it's really been an incredible journey. It's surprising that it's only been that many months, but it feels a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. I switched over around the same time too, actually. Um, I was posting on my personal account and I just started feeling weird about it like no one wants to hear this and 
no one's even really giving me a like. So I made this new account and it's just really nice to interact with the sober community because I never did any kind of meetings or anything like that. So I just had like myself and my therapist. Yeah, it's special. It really is amazing to see how everybody can come together and support each other in this virtual space. And I think it's especially important um, now that we're, you know, dealing with COVID and we can't connect as often in person. I think it's been especially helpful. So you got sober three and a half years ago. And did you start with AA or did you start with something else? I did not start with AA actually. So I've been so my last drink was three and a half years ago, but I started my journey like probably five or six years ago. Um, and I did not want to go to AA. So I tried, I was pretty determined to get sober on my own. So, you know, I started with books and then podcasts. And then, you know, eventually I got into online recovery support groups, which were really, really helpful, actually. And I'd be, I was able to start putting more time together, you know, a couple of weeks, eventually a couple of months. But it wasn't until probably four years ago that I decided to finally go to AA just because I could not get sober on my own. And so I went and that's finally what stuck much to my surprise. Cause I was at a point where I'm like, I'm going to, I'm willing to try anything. <laughs> Were you scared um, to go the first time, like walking into a me? I guess it was in person, right? Cause it wasn't COVID times, but were you scared? Like the very first meeting? Yeah. I, so I was super scared. I was super nervous. I also had a lot of preconceived notions about AA. So I, it's not my first time going to a meeting. Actually, I, my father was an AA for a little bit while I was growing up. And I remember tagging along to a couple meetings and, you know, I was a kid, but I was like, you know, not really taken aback by the dingy church basement vibe and people talking about their feelings. And I just thought it was really weird. And then I had gone to a, a couple other meetings because a friend of mine got sober when I was in my twenties. And so I'd gone to a few to watch her pick up her chip. And I thought, oh, this is cute, you know, but I didn't really think much more of it. It was just not, not for me, you know? So when the day came for me to go to my first meeting, I, you know, I had woken up hungover and I was just so sick of myself. I was so sick of relapsing. I was relapsing and relapsing and relapsing. And I'm like, I just, I think I need to go to AA. Like I need to just try it, you know? And so I had like a little flyer. I remember, I don't know how I got it, but I, I found a meeting and it was at noon on like a Tuesday because I didn't want anyone I knew to like potentially see either. And yeah, I went and like everything that could possibly go wrong in a meeting went wrong. Like the guy couldn't get the door open. So we had to have the meeting out in front of the building on the sidewalk. Oh my God, I was so mortified. And like someone kept interrupting us, like what, like a homeless guy that was kind of walking around. And it was just like such a weird meeting. But I remember feeling so understood and comforted by hearing the other people share their stories and just something about the in-person energy. I was like, okay, that was a weird first meeting, but I'll just keep coming back. And yeah, I just kept going back and it ended up being nothing like I assumed it would be. Was the part um, where you have to say, hey, I'm Laura and I'm an alcoholic, was that hard for you or were you like fully prepared and already identified in that way? 
it was hard for me to say it out loud, but I had already known I was an alcoholic. Like I had already believed I was. So I think it did take me a couple of meetings to finally be like, hi, I'm Laura, I'm an alcoholic. You know, you don't have to say that. You could just say, hi, I'm so-and-so and then pass. So I noticed people doing that. And so I kind of did that at first. And then eventually I said I was an alcoholic and it actually felt so good to say, even though I've been kind of avoiding the term, it felt really cathartic and even empowering. Um, and so, yeah, it, it got to that point for sure. So I didn't know that you could skip over that. I thought that everybody just said it. And if you didn't say it, it would be kind of weird. And I think that's probably um, not a belief that's unique to me. So that is really good to know that you don't have to claim that right on the first day. Um, you said you had known for a bit before your first meeting. What convinced you that you were an alcoholic and not someone who could like moderate or needed a break or something like that? I knew I was an alcoholic when I tried to quit drinking and I could like I couldn't say stop. I would take these breaks like I do like dry January and all that jazz like everybody does. And I couldn't stay stopped. Like, I don't think I, I think I got through one dry January, but there was another time where I tried to do a month and I made it like four days. The more that happened, the more I knew alcohol, like really had a grip on me. And I remember at one point I even joined a marathon to try to quit drinking. And I'm like, this is it. Like, this will get me like to stop. Could not stop drinking until like the day before. And I was like, yeah, I'm a freaking alcoholic. Like there is no denying it. I could, I just couldn't deny it. Like at that point. Yeah. I started going to Zumba classes at night and I was like, I'm not going to drink. I'm going to be healthy and do Zumba. But then I went home and I drank and showed up to the morning class on the weekends hungover. So I think that's funny. Um, how did you do in the marathon though? Did you finish? <laughs> I actually did a really good in the marathon. I ran, um, the, I ran it in, half it was a half marathon actually and I ran in two hours or under two hours yeah I was surprised um, yeah. but I I was you know I'm like oh I just it couldn't get me to stop drinking even for two weeks <laughs> I mean that's amazing that you did dry January though because a lot of us um we want to but we can't and that you could I feel like so many people would use that as proof like well I stopped for a month so you know, if I were oh, an alcoholic, I, I couldn't stop. Oh, I did use it as proof. I mean, when I did my first successful dry January, it was leading up to a trip we had planned to go uh, to Thailand. We were going to travel through Thailand for a couple months. And I was like, oh, I'm going to sober up for January because we're leaving in February. And I did it. And I couldn't wait to like have my first drink back. I was planning it. I was so excited about it. So even though I was dry I was still like obsessed with alcohol like you know and so it still had a hold on me and I convinced myself that going sober for that month was like gonna help me was a sign that I had to get it under control um, but I'll never forget because I that whole trip through Thailand it was like right back where I started I could not not drink like I'd be like I'm not gonna drink today and then I would crave alcohol so bad that I sneak away for like a Chang beer. And I was really disappointed because I could sense that I had not improved, I guess you could say, over those 30 days of not drinking. Yeah, I had that same experience actually with a vacation. I, I challenged myself to 90 days because I thought that it would cure me. 
and I did the 90 days focusing on drinking again. And then I went on vacation and I was right back to like day negative one. And it was crazy. And I got home and I was like, what's going on? I thought I was cured. And I mean, I quit a couple months later for real. But yeah, same thing with a vacation. When you started going to meetings, though, was that the same day that you stopped or did it take you a bit to like get in the process? I did have a couple relapses after I started going to meetings. Actually, what when I started really, really staying sober was when I finally got a sponsor. So in AA, when you get a sponsor, if you have cravings, you're supposed to call your sponsor, which is like the last thing you want to do is like talk to somebody when you have a craving like, oh, but yeah, it actually, it really, really works. And so I had a really... I had, you know, once I got my sponsor, I was putting together months. Um, and then my last big relapse was, you know, three and a half years ago when I went to my friend's memorial and I relapsed and I called my sponsor. I was crying. But I think a nice thing about AA is it really helped give me the tools to not give up and see my relapses as like a building tool or a building block. So, so I, I really am grateful to the program. How is it when you do have a relapse and then you go back the next time? Like, do you have to, or are you encouraged, I guess, to tell people that, or do you try to just like hide in the corner and not talk at that meeting? It is mortifying <laughs> um, to go back into the room and be like, and like, say you're a newcomer, especially in front of people who heard you talking about how amazing sobriety is like two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Um, but that's part of the experience. And I've really, I probably relapsed how many times since I got started going to AA, probably like four or five times. Um, and each time, you know, it was really hard, but I was met with nothing but support and love. It's all in our own heads. Like we're the hardest on ourselves. Some people like won't even say that they've relapsed because they're so ashamed. And some people will come to a meeting late. They don't want to do the whole like introduction part where they have to say they have less than 30 days. So everybody has their own way of dealing with it. But I will say that when I admitted it, I was met with nothing but so much support. Yeah, and shame is what keeps us hiding and, and doing it again and staying stuck in the cycle. So that's that's really good news. What are meetings actually like, though? I realize, like, as you were talking, I have no idea what you guys even talk about in there. Like, I know there's... No, no, I was oh, too scared. Wow. Yeah, I thought about it and I was like, clearly have something going on here. And what people typically do is they go to a meeting when they have that. And I actually have a friend, she's my neighbor, and she said she would go with me and I still didn't go. <laughs> I was so scared. Um, so this is like helping me too, because I still do want to try one. I'm just so like shy about it. Yeah, it's terrifying for sure. Until you, it's terrifying the most leading up to your first meeting. And then after you go to your first meeting, you're like, oh, it's not <laughs> a big deal. But I totally get how you feel. And, and it's completely normal. Everybody feels like that before a meeting. I do want to start by saying like, you know, AA is not mandatory to get sober. You already know this, you're sober. It's, you know, and I don't think it's for everybody, but I do think that there's always like something you could get from a meeting and now is a really good time for people to explore AA because of Zoom. Like you never had AA on Zoom before. I mean, you kind of did, but not the way we do now. 
And so I think it's really accessible at the moment. And like, you can even go to a Zoom meeting and sit in there with their screen turned off and your mic on mute and just listen to people share um, and hear what worked for them and just feel that like energy. But yeah, AA meetings, I mean, you go in, everybody says they're, you know, introduces themselves and there's different types of formats, but the most common one is someone will share their experience, strength and hope. So they're kind of tell their story for 10 minutes and then they choose the topic like resilience or surrender or something like that. And then everybody kind of talks in a circle about like how they feel about that topic or what worked for them. And you don't have to speak, you know, you can pass. And it's just really beautiful because you just hear the most profound wisdom in these meetings from people who've been like, and people go for like 30 years sober. Like it's crazy. Like I used to go to these meetings and be like, why are you still going to meetings? You're 30 years sober. But they were the people that helped me the most with their wisdom and their experience. Like it's so amazing. And then it's also really important and special to hear from people who are like five days sober. Like you get the whole range. And I think that's another really cool thing about our little community on Instagram too, is you get like all the people from all walks and lengths of sobriety. But yeah, it's just really beautiful community and you don't have to be religious or even like buy into everything AA teaches to be a part. Yeah, that's another barrier. Um, that might even be the biggest one, bigger than calling yourself an alcoholic is the idea that you have to embrace religion and the higher power aspect. So what if you don't, how does that work? Do you have to tell people that or you just, that's your own personal thing? I hear so many shares and like probably 50%, if not more, are not religious. There's so many different, and there's like atheist meetings out there. And so basically you can take the program and kind of mold it in a way that fits your values. And that's an important part of like finding the right sponsor too, because you want to find a sponsor who's like, who kind of whose vision with AA aligns with yours. But yeah, I mean, you don't have to believe in God. And a higher power could even be like your future self who you are like, I know my future self is like going to be this awesome, badass, sober person. Like, so I'm not going to drink today because I'm honoring that future person. So it really can be whatever you make it, you know, as long as you're following in this program, you know, they're all suggestions. So it's much more flexible than I think a lot of people realize. How do you even find a sponsor? Like do people, I know they recognize like you're a newbie. Do they come like help you start? Like I know you, you find a sponsor and you work the steps with your sponsor, but how do you get there from showing up at your first meeting? So usually they ask, a lot of meetings will say, if you're available to sponsor, please raise your hand. So you'll see people raise their hands. And typically like you'll, Start, once you find a meeting you really like, you'll go back to it uh, over each week and you'll start to like recognize people's stories and you'll start to notice like people you really look up to whose sobriety you're like, oh, I like what they have. Like, and so they say like your general roles, you want a sponsor who has what you want, right? And so, you know, you listen and you see somebody who is like, rocking it in sobriety who has like everything they say like clicks with you and usually you're supposed to go up to them and be like hey I love your recovery like I really look up to you would you be willing to sponsor me 
And then they'll either say yes, or they'll guide you to somebody who they're like, oh, I got a guy, like he kicks butt, like he's, we're on the same level. And so, um, but you know, I was kind of a <laughs> shy person when I was in early recovery. I actually would raise my, when I spoke, I'd be like, I'm looking for a sponsor. That's all. And I, cause I didn't have the guts to ask somebody and a girl actually came up to me. She's like, I noticed you're looking for a sponsor. I'd be happy to sponsor you. So that's another way you can do it if you're like really terrified, like I was, because I was like too embarrassed to ask somebody. Um, and she was really awesome. So what if you are a newbie to AA, but you're not a newbie to sobriety? Like what if you have a few months or like over a year, do you still take the same process with getting a sponsor and working the steps or is the process slightly different? Oh, no, it's the same. And it happens all the time. People who have years of sobriety like sometimes you'll want to switch sponsors because you kind of outgrew your last sponsor or they moved away I mean people are looking for sponsors at all kinds all points of their sobriety so it's not weird at all it's just a matter of finding someone that you really connect with or whose story really resonates with you and just seeing if they're willing to help you out how do you even find a meeting like I'm sure I could google like AA meeting Boston and like some stuff would pop up, but how do you even find your first one? Like, should you try a few different ones, like timings at work or how do you know, like what the meeting is even like? Typically every city has like a list of meetings, which you can find on the internet pretty easily. But so you can do that. There's also zoom meetings, but what I did is I found, I looked at meetings and I really wanted to go like a women's meeting because I I felt like it'd be safer. So I checked out some women's meetings. You know, I did meetings that were at like noon because I was scared to go to the really crowded ones at five. But I do recommend bouncing around and trying a bunch because I mean, honestly, some meetings you're going to be like, what the heck is this? Like, and it's not, trust me, like there are meetings like that that are, you just leave the meeting. Like don't even... It's not for you. You know, some meetings are really, really religious-y for sure. And like, that's not a meeting I could go to, you know, but you bounce around and you, you'll find one and you'll know. Cause like when you're in there, you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is everybody like amazes you. You just feel so like inspired. I mean, you leave on cloud nine. It is incredible. Like, and that's when, you know, like you found the right meeting for you. And then one meeting meets once per week or are they more often for some meetings? Yeah, there's some, most are once a week, but there's also daily meetings. Like they'll have like a, a lot of cities will have like a breakfast meeting, like an early morning meeting that that meets every day or the five o'clock to seven o'clock meetings. A lot of those happen every day too. Yeah. And I think that's the power of Zoom too. Like you're saying some meetings just aren't a good fit. When you go in person, it's hard. Like you just, you want to stay there and be polite. But when you're on Zoom and your camera's off, you just kind of disappear and and no one's even going to notice. You know, you can try it out. And if it's not for you, you just disappear. No one even knew who you were to begin with. Oh, totally. I'm not going to lie. I've walked out of meetings before. Like (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I'm just like, I can't, this is not for me. But that's the nice thing about Zoom. You're right. You could just kind of be like, uh, you know, I'll try something else. I think I saw you mention on your Instagram that you sponsor people. Is that true? I have. Yeah. It's weird because you feel 
I mean, when I took my first sponsee on, I was like, I'm not ready, but she really wanted to work with me. And so, but it's amazing. And helping others helps you just as much. It's like walking through early sobriety all over again. It reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing and why you want to be sober. And it also makes you strongly self-aware, even of the things that you don't like about yourself. Cause it's like, you have like someone you're trying to guide. So it can be a really intense mirror for yourself. But at the end of the day, it is a really rewarding experience. And, you know, you just want to pass forward what's been given to you. And I'm so grateful to my sponsors and it's, it's special to be able to take on sponsors. I won't do more than two at a time though, especially when they're in early recovery, you want to be able to give them as much you know, attention and, you know, the, the care that they deserve. Yeah. I'm sure that is a big commitment. Um, when you really want to help someone and guide them, do you graduate your sponsees or do you decide that together? Um, like what happens like a year down the line, do you stay working together? So you technically are supposed to be your sponsee sponsor forever. So you work through the steps and you get through all 12 steps. And then you, hopefully they start sponsoring other people. So you're kind of like grandma sponsor <laughs> while they take on sponsees and soon your sponsees start coming to you to be like, how do I sponsor? How do like this, my sponsees doing this thing. So you're kind of like, I don't know. It's like kind of like family. I don't know how to explain it. As time goes by, you might not be as involved because in early recovery, you want to meet with your sponsee at least once a week, you know, but some of my older sponsees, I see them just at meetings here and there and we text, but there's always that like bond, like you'll never, the bond is special. It's forever. And you can pick up where you left off and it's really, really special. That's really nice. I think that you are engaged, correct? I am. How does your fiance feel about all of this? Like AA and sponsoring people and, and your sober pal. He is like my number one supporter. He is super proud of me and he loves what I'm doing with Sober Pal. You know, when we met, we both were heavy drinkers and that's like kind of what we bonded on. And so it's been really special to see how our relationship has evolved and progressed over the years. And now he's sober, not like because he's an alcoholic, but he just is. And it's been really special. He's, he's a really big advocate. Were you afraid um, when you did get sober that things would change between you guys because you did bond over drinking in the beginning? Oh, yeah. I was scared of the relationship changing. I was scared of like what would happen to our sex life. I was scared of all the things like how are we going to have like fun, carefree evenings together? I mean, there's all kinds of fears around that and in the unknown. Um, and that was hard. That was actually a really big sticking point for me in early recovery was becoming like bored or boring in a relationship. And what did you find um, like when you were more comfortable in your sobriety? Were, were you actually boring? <laughs> you know, it's been so crazy. Like I actually talked to him about this recently and he's like, I can't even tell you like how much better things have gotten since you stopped drinking you know, we have found new adventures to do together to the point where we don't even remember, like, what did we do when we drank together? Like, it's hard to even remember those times. Like, how did we have time for that? We do so many different things now. So it's really helped us grow 
um, together in a much more intimate way. And it's been really special. That's really nice. And I found the same thing with my husband. Um, I was scared of the same thing that we would um, not connect. We'd, I'd be boring. He wouldn't like me anymore, all of that, because he's not um, a problem drinker or alcoholic or anything like that. He's a normal guy, but same experience here. I've also seen on your stories that you're really open about shame and that I was already planning to ask you, but then that day I saw that, I was like, I have to get her. <laughs> shame is probably my biggest issue. And it was always the biggest problem for me when I was drinking the TikTok that you did recently, where you like waking up after a night of drinking and you had that voice um, telling you to like go kill yourself or something. That was my experience, a hundred percent. How were you able to move past like all the bad things that happened and hating yourself for them into just like being like, you're so open and cool about everything. Oh man. I, that TikTok is, was inspired by a hangover I had after I relapsed New Year's Eve, 2017. I literally was hungover for like a week. I wanted to kill myself. I hated myself. The self-loathing was like soul crushing. That's like what happened when I drank, especially when I was relapsing the next morning. Like that was how I felt. The shame, I mean, the shame I felt was probably the worst after I got my DUI. I thought I was like never going to recover. I would struggle too because I would sit there and dwell and like wallow in the shame and guilt and the self-pity. And I was starting to realize like, the more I did that, the more I would like want to drink more again, because like you want to numb it out. And so it took a while for me to realize that I needed to stop wallowing in my shame and my guilt and just start like, you know, accepting that I did something that I'm not proud of. And that's okay to feel sad about it, but to start building myself up, even if I didn't really believe it. So I had, a, I really started trying to change the way I spoke to myself. You know, I get that you feel sad today, Laura. I understand that you're, you know, you feel ashamed of what you did last night, but we're going to get through this and we're going to, we're going to rise above it. And like really trying to change the way I talk to myself because I knew I it wasn't going to accomplish anything with all the shame and guilt. And that was actually something my sponsor really helped me with was working through shame and guilt too, because I was really having a hard time with it. But yeah, you just have to accept the consequences of your behavior, but at the same time, realize that one day you're probably going to use this experience to help someone else. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'm, I'm slowly working my way there. I've got over, I think most things, but I have a couple things. Like I have one that I call my greatest shame, <laughs> that like really isn't a big deal. I told my husband when I was around like seven months sober and he he was like, that's your greatest shame. Like, that's the worst thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's hard to, I guess, just stop thinking so badly about yourself. So I'm happy that the program addresses that and like your sponsor can work with you on that. Cause I know that's a problem for a lot of people. Like you work through the steps, but your fourth step is a really hard step that because you really come clean to your sponsor about a lot of the things you did. Um, and you talk about how it made you feel and like where you're responsible and, you know, your part in everything. And 
I will, I remember my sponsor saying when she came into the program, she was like, I had a secret that I was ready to take to my grave. Like it was, I was so ashamed, but she says that like shame, if you keep things hidden, you carry that burden, like it will fester. And like one day you might relapse. And she was like, you know, it's when you're ready, like you'll, you'll know when you're ready, but you'll, when you're ready, you open up about it and you'll realize you're not alone in that shame or in that thing that you did. And she told me that when she opened up to her sponsor with about her thing, her sponsor was like, oh yeah, I did that too. And she couldn't believe it because she was like, I thought I was the only person on the planet that did this horrible, awful thing that I was going to take to my grave. And it was like, oh, it's gone. Like the, the, the weight of her shame, like just lifted off her and she never felt like she needed to be ashamed or hide it or take it to her grave for the rest of her life. And that really spoke to me when she told me that, because, you know, I, I was like, I don't know if I had anything I was going to take to my grave the way she did, but it made me really change my perception around the shame. I think that's part of the reason why I am so open about like a lot of the stuff I did, DUI, like cheating on my fiance and stuff, because that's how we connect and we, how we help each other realize we're not alone. Yeah. And in my experience, um, when I first started like posting about being sober, I was really ashamed about how suicidal I got. And I thought that was completely unique to me. And then I remember I got the courage to post it. And so many people commented and people started messaging me about how um, they didn't just feel suicidal. They attempted something and like, luckily they're still here. But that was shocking to me. Like, wow, this is something that a lot of people actually experience. So that's a good point. And my therapist has told me I need to share the shame too. <laughs> it's a slow oh, process. She did. Oh, that's cool. You're, you're getting there though. Yeah. It's, I, it's a work in progress. It takes time. Yeah, it's hard, um, but I'll get there. So there is one question that I really want to ask you. Um, there's a divide in the sober community that's really unfortunate. And it's between people who go to AA and people who don't. And I think you are someone who's very accessible to people who don't go to AA. So I was wondering um, why you thought that divide existed. And if you thought there was anything that we could do like as a community to kind of fix it, because we all are really on the same team and there's no need to like judge each other or, or be harsh. I gotta be honest, when I saw that question, I was like, what is she talking about? Because I don't <laughs> see it. I don't really see that divide. And maybe it's just because I barely follow anyone on Instagram. But I, I have I have noticed from time to time, like people who are like, I left AA because I felt like it's really, dis they use a lot of disempowering language. They don't like, they don't, a lot of people don't believe in like calling yourself an alcoholic. Like some people want to say they've recovered. So like, I'm not going to be defined by something I did 20 years ago. And so I, I totally understand that. There's no right or wrong way to get sober. AA is just a way. And I tried a gazillion things and AA was what clicked for me. And so it's just a part of my story. And that's just really how I see it. I can see how people would have a hard time with AA. Like you a lot of meetings close with the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of patriarchal elements to the program because it's so old. The big book reads like the Bible half the time. Like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I can see is hard for people, but you're right. We're all like, we just want the same thing. And 
And I have no problem with people taking a different route and choosing a different method. I like the AA is pretty really accessible anywhere in the world. Like I'll be traveling to like, I was in South America and I found AA meetings down there and it like was so cool because I got to meet people in recovery, like in another country through AA. So there's a lot of really beautiful aspects to it. But as far as like uniting, so I would have never gone to AA if somebody didn't tell me to go and just take what works and leave the rest. And I think that all of us are going to have some sort of like a cross stitch quilt of recovery of different things that worked for us. I'm not like a, a big book thumper. Do you know what that is? I don't, but I, I can imagine, <laughs> I think. A, a big book thumper is like a Bible thumper, but for AA. So they're like preachy and they're just like, you have to do AA. It's the only way. Like I'm not a big book thumper. So I'm kind of like a middle range AA involved person. But I don't know, it's, it's, it's got some great tools like that I think could be of use to anyone. And there's also a ton of other really cool programs. There's like Refuge Recovery, there's Smart Meetings, which is like more of a science-based approach. And I've actually recommended that to people who are more of like an analytical mind. Like I could see you going to a Smart Meeting, you know? And it has the same like support group aspect and a lot of like a lot of the elements that I really like about AA you can find in other places so I think that there it is just a really cool way to get sober but it's not the only do you have advice for someone who who is scared to go maybe because of the religious aspects um, or the like being outed kind of aspects but they they're not getting sober and they think it would be good for them besides taking advantage of zoom is there anything else that maybe could encourage them to to take that step? Well, they could learn a little bit more about AA. There's a Reddit thread for Alcoholics Anonymous that is open to anyone. So they could poke in there and learn a little bit more about the structure of AA and kind of like the value system. But I don't know, like it never hurts to go to a meeting or two and just listen or you know, like you said, the Zoom meeting, that's a really approachable way too. It's hard and it's scary to go, but like you've already been scared to stay drunk forever. Like, can it be any worse than that? I think that's a big part of the experience in recovery is having those really awkward moments and just saying, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, that's really great advice. If you look online, like at your community meetings does it say like this one's for women or this mm -hmm. one is I don't know the other distinctions that they would make but they tell you like the type yeah so you can see online if it's a women's meeting or if it's a young person's meeting um there's men's meetings as well and there's co-ed and then you can see if there's like there's book study meetings but there's also like you know chair meetings and so you can see what type of meetings there are online and just dabble, dabble around, test some meetings out. I, I promise, like, even if you don't join AA, there's something you can get out of the experience. Yeah, I like to cruise, my husband and I, and I haven't been on a sober cruise yet, but I know, I've known the whole time, so I guess in my head, like, I was already preparing, but they have AA meetings on the ship. So There I are sober cruises? No, it's a it's oh. a drinking cruise, but there are meetings every single day on the ship. 
So that is something that I was considering. Um, I would like to go like for real, not just show up on vacation and be like, this is my first meeting. Um, but yeah, they, they are everywhere. Like you said, even on cruises. So when everybody around you is getting drunk, you can go find the other people in recovery and like find your safe group. That is so cool. I didn't know that. So I, before I went to AA, I was in an online recovery group called Cafe RE and they did a meetup in Chicago. And I actually flew out to Chicago to meet up with all these people that I met in this group. And it was my first like sober vacation. And I had so much fun. I remember being like tripped out by how much fun I had. It was awesome. And I'm like, these sober people are not boring. Like we are kicking butt and like cruising the city. I mean, it was amazing. So I can totally, uh, that sounds like a really cool idea. But when he said sober cruise, I got excited. I'm like, that would be really fun, actually. That would be it's fun. All mo- it's all like bottomless mocktails <laughs> <laughs> on the cruise ship. <laughs> Everyone goes to bed early. It's like NA beer buckets by the pool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is your favorite thing about being sober? If you have a couple, that's okay. I know that's hard the clarity that I have about myself and my life and I guess how I want to move in the world. I did not have that when I was drinking. I feel like when I was drinking, I was constantly barricading myself from that clarity. And in sobriety, it's been like just so beautiful to have this sense of clarity in my life. Like it's just, it's amazing. And I always wondered what it would feel like when I was in my twenties, like I didn't even know like what I was good at or what I wanted to do for a job. And yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really cool. I thought clarity would be all about like knowing what I want to do with my life and knowing like all these external things, but it's more of like, I realize it's been more of an internal clarity, just a sense of peace with myself, like not pushing against the world. Like when I, when I don't agree with it, like I just kind of accept, but also look for where I can be, the change. And it's just like, I I feel like with the clarity, I know more about like what moves to make and like where I can actually make an impact. So it's been really cool. So I saw your website, you have a thousand different resources on there. You mentioned several of them. So I'm going to link that in the show notes for everybody. I want to add your podcast to that too, because I was looking for more like science-based like recovery podcast, because I think that's a really important part of the journey. And I couldn't really find that many. So I think you're really filling an important niche. So I appreciate that. Is there anywhere else that we can find you um, or connect with you? And the best way is probably Instagram. That's the only place that I actually like respond to direct messages. But you can also see my content on TikTok. Um, and then, yeah, I have a website, but it's mostly just to give people like resources, easy access to resources 24 seven, but yeah, those are the three main places. Awesome. So I'll have all that in the show notes for anyone that wants to check out that. And I highly recommend you go look at her TikToks. They, they make me so happy. I'm always hysterically laughing and like making my husband watch them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're really good. You're very talented. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. That means a lot. And thank you for coming on here today and enlightening us. And you didn't realize how little I knew, but it was really helpful to talk to you about AA. Yeah, it was super fun. And I, yeah, I haven't really talked to a lot of people who have 
who are sober but not familiar with AA. So that was really cool to like explain it anew to fresh eyes. But if you ever do go to a meeting, you've got to text me or DM me and let me know how it went. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Really curious. I, I think I should go. Um, you're not the first person to get in this conversation with me about it. Um, so I think I need to pull the trigger while Zoom meetings are still a thing. Um, but yeah, I'll let you know. And um, thank you again for coming on. And listeners, I will talk to you guys next week. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how twos for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.